July 21st. And as we look into the New Testament today, we'll be reading from the book of Romans, chapter 7, verses 1 through 13, where we're going to learn that believers are not under the law, but that does not give them license to become outlaws. They have a new life and a new master, and they also have a new love. They are married to Christ. If a marriage must be based on laws instead of love, it's going to make for an unhappy home. If the law cannot change us or control us, what good is it? Its purpose is to reveal sin, and it does its job well. Paul learned that the law even aroused evil desires in him. If something as holy as God's law can arouse sinful desires, what wicked sinners we must be. Law brings out the worst in us, but love brings out the best in us. The Holy Spirit within us helps us do what God wants us to do and to be what God wants us to be. So keep your love relationship with the Lord alive and exciting, and you will have righteousness instead of wretchedness. It's all about a yielded life. And now, let's begin our reading today in the New Testament. July 21st, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only to a person who is still living? Let me illustrate. When a woman marries... The law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So this is the point. The law no longer holds you in its power because you died to its power when you died with Christ on the cross. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, you can produce good fruit, that is, good deeds, for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died with Christ, and we are no longer captive to its power. Now we can really serve God, not in the old way by obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way, by the Spirit. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is evil? Of course not. The law is not sinful, but it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, Do not covet. But sin took advantage of this law and aroused all kinds of forbidden desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. I felt fine when I did not understand what the law demanded. But when I learned the truth, I realized I had broken the law and was a sinner doomed to die. So the good law, which was supposed to show me the way of life, instead gave me the death penalty. Sin took advantage of the law and fooled me, 
it took the good law and used it to make me guilty of death. But still, the law itself is holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my doom? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commandment for its own evil purposes. I recently heard about a teacher who had given her elementary school students an assignment to draw a picture. If you could be anything in the world at all, she said, what would you be? And so the students, they drew their little pictures and then they turned them in and she was going through them and they were, they were funny little pictures. Uh, but then she came to one that surprised her a little bit. A student had drawn a picture of a cell phone. She thought that was a little strange. So she called the student up to the desk and said, you know, why did, why did you draw a picture of a cell phone? He said, you know, why do you want to be a cell phone? And he said, well, because if I were a cell phone, then my parents would pay attention to me. They would hold on to me and they would love me and they wouldn't even be upset if I accidentally interrupted them from time to time if they were in the middle of a conversation. That little boy felt like nobody was paying attention to him. And I bet there are times in your life where you've felt maybe the same thing kind of alone, that nobody's paying any attention to you. And if you have, then I want to point out one little detail about this story about the rich man and Lazarus. You know, Lazarus's name, the name of the, the beggar, his name was Lazarus. What was the name of the rich man? We don't know. He doesn't have a name. God doesn't call him by name. He calls him by what he loved, the rich man. He loved wealth more than anything. That's how he defined his life, so that's how, that's how God defined his life. But Lazarus, he knew by name. There's a passage in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43, where God says the same thing about you. He says, don't be afraid. Do not fear. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And how did that happen? How did he redeem you? How did he summon you by name? There's a little tidbit in uh, Luke chapter 16. After the rich man is asking Abraham to send Lazarus down to hell to a comfort, you know, to give him some relief from his agony, Abraham answers, he says, you know, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here, from heaven to you, cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there, from hell, to us. There's a chasm that nobody could cross, but the way that we were redeemed, the way God called us by name is because Jesus crossed the chasm. He crossed the chasm to suffer hell for all the times that we have forgotten to call out God's name in our time of trouble, for all the times that we have forgotten that the beautiful name of forgiven children of God is what he gives us, that we get to live with. He suffered hell for that to assure you that he really will go that far to care for the needs of those whose names he already knows. Would you like these videos sent to your email? Just click on the link in this post. We'd be thrilled to send them over to you so you gain more peace in Jesus. And we'll make sure that you don't miss out on an ounce or a day of God's grace. And we'll see you tomorrow. Psalm 17, verses 1 through 15. We'll see that God is spirit and therefore does not have a body. Sometimes scripture uses the parts of the human body to describe God's activities with respect to his people. He does not have eyes, but he sees us. He does not have ears, but he hears our cries. David referred to four of these in this psalm. God's ears. The enemy opposed David's just cause, so he cried out to God for vindication. David's prayer was sincere. 
and he wanted God to judge righteously. And he talks about God's eyes. David had nothing to hide. His heart was right and his walk was righteous. You must be able to say the same of your heart and walk if you expect God to answer your prayers. And then we'll read about God's hand. David trusted not his own hand, but the hand of God to protect him and to defeat the enemy. The pride of the enemy grieved David because he wanted God alone to be glorified. And we'll read about God's likeness. See, God has in mind this goal when he permits you to go through trials. He wants to make you more like his son. Although this verse may refer to future resurrection, it can be applied to life today. Our Lord goes with us into the furnace so that we may be more like him when we come out of it. Psalm 17, verses 1 through 15, a prayer of David. O Lord, hear my plea for justice. Listen to my cry for help. Pay attention to my prayer, for it comes from an honest heart. Declare me innocent, for you know those who do right. You have tested my thoughts and examined my heart in the night. You have scrutinized me and found nothing amiss, for I am determined not to sin in what I say. I have followed your commands, which have kept me from going along with cruel and evil people. My steps have stayed on your path. I have not wavered from following you. I am praying to you because I know you will answer, O God. Bend down and listen as I pray. Show me your unfailing love in wonderful ways. You save with your strength those who seek refuge from their enemies. Guard me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Protect me from wicked people who attack me. From murderous enemies who surround me. They are without pity. Listen to their boasting. They track me down, surround me, and throw me to the ground. They're like hungry lions eager to tear me apart, like young lions in hiding, waiting for their chance. Arise, O Lord, stand against them, and bring them to their knees. Rescue me from the wicked with your sword. Save me by your mighty hand, O Lord, from those whose only concern is earthly gain. May they have their punishment in full. May their children inherit more of the same. And may the judgment continue to their children's children. But because I have done what is right, I will see you. When I awake, I will be fully satisfied." For I will see you face to face. Proverbs 19, verses 22 and 23. Loyalty makes a person attractive, and it is better to be poor than dishonest. Fear of the Lord gives life, security, and protection from harm. Psalm 17. 